Psalm 15 offers us a description of the godly. This psalm begins with a question regarding the worship of God and fellowship with him. The psalmist portrays worship not just as a come every once in a while and check in with God, but as a lifestyle. It's characterized by two words, who can sojourn with God, who can dwell with God. God's not someone we visit on Sundays. He's someone we journey through all of life with. And we're not just guests dropping in to say hi, but members of his household. As such, we need to understand that God is interested in far more than the worshiper's sacrifice before the sanctuary. If we're spending each moment of our lives journeying and dwelling with God, then he's going to affect all parts of our life. So who can sojourn with God? Who can dwell with him? We might expect an answer similar to what we read of in the book of Leviticus, the right sacrifices and how to offer them up to God. But the psalmist lets us understand that sacrifices alone aren't worth anything to God. A true worshiper offers up his heart as well, forming his character after God. In verse 2, we see that the character of the godly is true. God's people walk with integrity. This is not speaking of sinless perfection, but it is referring to a sincere desire to fulfill the Lord's will. We're to be fully devoted to God and completely forthright in our dealings with others. And this lifestyle will prevent others from being able to bring a legitimate accusation against us. In verses 2 through 3, the words of the godly are restrained. Our speech is a reflection of our character. An individual who is seeking to do God's will isn't going to slander others or use information in such a way to harm a friend. Some people are busybodies working as private investigators for the purpose of gathering nuggets of gossip to spread. But to the contrary, the godly person works to protect others and seek their best interests. And in verse 4 and 5, the dealings of the godly are honorable. The righteous man keeps his word, even when it is costly for him to do so. He doesn't attempt to profit by taking advantage of the one who is in financial trouble. Simply put, God's people can't set aside moral responsibilities in the name of monetary gain. Though many try to compartmentalize their life with one standard for church and a completely different standard for business, such an idea is completely foreign to Scripture. Doing the right thing brings true blessings. The one who makes such a choice finds assurance and security in the Lord. As God's children, we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard, God's standard, and this is going to lead us to love him. Furthermore, it's going to help us to love others and to work to do right by them as well. In Psalm 16, we have one where David is crying out to God for preservation, but there's a little bit of extra to this psalm as well. And this is a messianic psalm, a psalm that touches on the life of Jesus. Now, certainly David has references to his own life, but there are also some interesting pieces which refer to the life of Jesus. So we'll be noticing a bit of both as we go through. This psalm is a plea for deliverance. Verse 1 reads, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This is the language of trust and is similar to what Jesus says in the garden prayer, Not my will, but yours be done. David was willing to submit to the will of the Father, as was Jesus. They believed that God would provide for them and their well-being, and we have that same promise. This psalm is also a refusal to conform. Verse 4 discusses the ungodly of David's day. The verse, however, could carry with it a double meaning. David writes, Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. This is likely referring to pagan practice. The pagans of David's day engaged in human sacrifice at times, as well as the drinking of blood in their religious ceremonies. David, he refused to be a part of such ungodliness. And we also see Jesus being offered a drink that he was uncomfortable with while he was on the cross. 
And then we have the statement of faith in this song. Verses 9 through 10 read that my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. This is speaking of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Shale is the Hebrew word for grave or the realm of the dead. Now, obviously, corruption in this text refers to the decay of a body. And Peter explains in Acts chapter 2 that this passage couldn't be referring to David because David did die, remained buried, and did see corruption. Acts chapter 2 at verse 24, we read that God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me in Hades, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. David's tomb remained with the people at Pentecost. However, with Jesus, you can't find any bones. There is no tomb except for the empty one. He was raised from the dead as the first fruits of what was to come later, because we also are given the promise of life after death, and this is where we place our hope. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge.